What do you do when you sense God calling you to something that is so far beyond yourself that you can't really fathom it? What do you do when you hear God telling you that he's going to take you places that in your mind are inconceivable? What do you do when you sense God prompting you to take such a leap of faith that um, it just seems completely out of your reach? What do you do? What do you say? How do you respond? I'm convinced that these kinds of experiences with God are watershed, monumental moments in our lives. Moments that can make us or break us. Moments that can set a direction for our lives on which everything that follows is built. It's this kind of experience that confronts Mary in the passage we just read a few moments ago from the first chapter of Luke's gospel. An angel appears to her with a word so inconceivable that she's completely overwhelmed. Not because it's a prophecy to dread. It's the most amazing prophecy anyone could ever speak. But because it's so big, so monumental, so unbelievable... It's it's exciting, confusing, and frightening all at the same time. One truth that we learn from the activity of God in the birth of Christ is that God loves to use human beings in his amazing plans. In fact, it's always God's first option in revealing himself to this world and of working in this world. God involves us in plans, even though his plans are so far beyond our ability to grasp and even believe. God's plans often push us to new heights, new places, new roles, new tasks, new journeys. Even though embarking on these heights and places and tasks and roles and journeys might scare us to death and leave us bewildered. We tend to live with the view of God that he will never push us beyond what we're able to understand or comprehend or reconcile or process to our satisfaction. We tend to believe that God won't put us in a position of vulnerability, of fear, of anxiety, of uncertainty. And we are wrong. If the scriptures teach us anything, if the drama of the nativity teaches us anything, is that God loves, God truly loves to put us in uncomfortable positions. To push us into mysterious places. To lead us down uncertain paths. To call us to unreasonable and sometimes, as we see it, irresponsible tasks. Because God wants more for us than status quo, than mediocrity. God loves to challenge us because in these challenges, in these uncertain and mysterious places, we are forced to rely on him. And when we rely totally on God, we're in a place to be fully blessed by God. But we tend to like mediocrity. We tend to like safe. We tend to like controlled We tend to like like thinking about life in a way that's manageable 
and fair and safe. I can't begin to put into words how I felt 16 years ago when I received a phone call from Paul Young asking me if I might have any interest in talking with him about the senior pastor position of the Houghton Wesleyan Church. Now, I I had never been to Houghton, but I knew a little bit about the Houghton Wesleyan Church. It certainly was different than the two churches I had served up to that point. I knew that people in this church were far more educated than I. I knew that this was a fairly prestigious church in our denomination. And I wanted to say to him, are you sure you have the right guy? Are you sure you realize you're talking to Wes Oden in Rice Lake, Wisconsin? Maybe you need to check your list again. Maybe you dialed the wrong number. I mean, I was overwhelmed. And honestly, my initial response was to say, no. I mean, whole church is beyond me. That, that's too much. And where I am is safe and, and it's comfortable and it's manageable. Obviously, I didn't say that. Thanks in no small part to Cindy's sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. The fear of getting myself into the unknown, into something that would stretch me that much, seemed so daunting and so impossible that I was tempted to not even try, to just play it safe. After almost 16 years, and I'm not going to speak for all of you, but I can't describe how happy and grateful we are, that I didn't allow us to keep from experiencing something God had for us. I've had the opportunity, even though it's been sometimes challenging and sometimes a struggle, had the opportunity to participate in things I would have never dreamed of participating in. I've grown and matured in ways that I never would have if I hadn't been here. But I'm still susceptible to playing it safe. Still susceptible to putting God in my little box of comfortable and explainable, controllable and manageable. And I suspect you wrestle with that too. So many of God's plans seem like just too much for us. We're frightened and confused when God works in ways that are beyond us. But if we're going to be prepared for the coming of God into our lives, and if we're going to be prepared for, to see God at work in our world, then we have to be willing to let God work outside the boundaries that we tend to set up for him. Outside the categories in which we tend to place him. And nothing challenges us to this mindset like the incarnation. The God who is too great and mighty to be limited by anything now chooses to limit himself to the flesh and blood of humanity. It prompts us to ask the same question that Mary does. How can this be? At first glance, it's simply a question of how in the world could a virgin bear a child? But perhaps it's it's, it's a deeper question, too. And you sort of get a sense of that by the way in which the angel responds. Maybe it's how in the world could God become human? How could it be that God would desire to become human? What in the world is going on with this God that we had figured out, that we had put into a nice, neat package and wrapped in a bow? Are you telling me that Yahweh, El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of the heavenly armies, 
is going to be born a baby? We tend to understand this wonderment as sort of, could God be that small? But actually it begs the question, is God that big? I'm convinced that the root of our struggle with the incarnation is that we possess not too big a view of God, but a view of God that is far too small. When our image of God is too small, then his commands look like suggestions. And his calling feels negotiable. His dreams for us seem untenable. And we see him as sort of a doting grandfather who would never do anything to frighten us or challenge us or put us at risk. And yet the drama of the nativity is filled with the awesomeness of God, the power of God, the risk-taking character of God. The bigger, greater image of God who would humble himself in human flesh. All the people of the story, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary, the shepherds and the magi, all of them are filled with the wonder and, and with fear when they encounter the presence and the plan of God. They're all pushed to places they have no vocabulary to explain. They're all challenged with ideas. They have no framework to comprehend. It's the theme woven throughout the whole thing. The Almighty God is using me to do something so fantastic, so amazing, so transformational, I can't really comprehend it. And the angel responds, I know this all sounds incredible, but it's God's plan. It's it's God's doing. It's God's word. And no word from God will ever fail. Since the beginning of 2011, our church has taken seriously God's command, be fruitful and multiply. (laughs) 17 babies have been born to our congregation in this calendar year. And actually, there are quite a few people who are expecting children in 2012. It's an amazing thing. God has blessed us. It's awesome, these gifts. I was thinking about that the other day, and and I realized that every one of those babies takes us back to Bethlehem. Because the birth in Bethlehem is not some magical appearance of a superhero from another planet who crash lands on earth. This is a real pregnancy, morning sickness and cravings. This is real labor, contractions and pain, pushing, midwives, blood and placenta and umbilical cord and little lungs screaming for milk. Nothing could be more jarring, more confusing, more inconceivable, and more frightening to the people of first century Palestine than to think of God born of a human mother. And yet here he is, flesh and blood, cooing and crying, messing his diaper, surviving only because of his mother's breast. God in flesh. The core of the incarnation is also the core of the Eucharist, of communion. God loves creation. God loves to feed us and teach us through his creation. And communion is the celebration of God in flesh and blood. God mysteriously active and present in the bread and the cup. 
But we don't really understand the the presence, the essence, the power of incarnation or of communion if it doesn't move us to daily, moment-by-moment surrender of ourselves to Christ. If we come and and we receive, but we don't do so in the spirit of surrender to Christ, then the power of the sacrament is nullified. Not because we have some kind of power over it, but because our hearts are cold and stony and unwilling to receive it. That doesn't mean we have to in some way be worthy or, or, or good enough or special enough to come to the table. It does mean, however, that our lives are open to God. To the mystery of his ways and his power and his presence. Whether we fully understand it and can fully explain it or not. We don't want to miss the essence of the impact of Mary's response to the angel. I am the Lord's servant. Or as J.B. Phillips has it, I belong to the Lord, body and soul. This word we translate servant is talking about being a slave. And to be a slave is not just an occupation or an attitude, it's a way of life. Slavery is who you are, not what you do. It's the complete bending of one's will to the will of the master. Mary's not forced to be a slave. She chooses to be a slave. She chooses to give up her rights. She chooses to be passive putty in Yahweh's hands. She chooses to trust that being a servant of Yahweh is better than being free on her own. And eventually because her heart is open to God, because her mind is set on God, because her life is all about God, then even though she doesn't really understand it, Even though she's confused and perplexed and frightened about what all this is going to mean for her, she says, okay, my life is all about Yahweh. And if this is Yahweh's plan and he wants me to be a part of it, then I'm in. I'm all the way in. Christmas is worshiping a God who cannot, who will not be limited by human reasoning, by human plans and logic. By human space and time and concept. Christmas is about a God who loves to circumvent and ridicule the boxes and the concepts into which we continually love to place him. So if our box is tradition, God talks about new things. If our box is all about the contemporary, God declares that he does not change. If our box is about people who fit our theological framework or our political ideology, God uses those who think differently from us to teach us lessons and to humble us and to work in us and to transform us. If our box is success as perfection, God allows defeat and trials and difficulties in order for us to help us focus on his faithfulness. Surrendering to Christ, being the Lord's servant, his slave, means that our life is no longer our own. All of our decisions are his. All of our relationships are his. All that we do with our leisure time is his. All that we do at work is his. We treat people the way he does, with humility and love and patience and forgiveness and honesty. And where he leads, we go. Even if he leads to difficult, unknown, confusing, unexplainable, and mysterious places. This is the call of Christmas. This is the call of discipleship. 
Which is why it's also the call of the table of our Lord. Coming to the table to eat and drink is both a sign of our desire to surrender. And it's grace and strength to surrender. It's not about church membership. It's not about whatever grand claims we may make about Christ. It's about openness of heart and mind and life to Christ. It's surrendering ourselves to his unorthodox, confusing, frightening, amazing ways. It's declaring with our words, our attitudes, our actions, I am the Lord's servant, his slave, and I am happy to be so. This is the call of God in the Garden of Eden, in the exodus from Egypt, in the kingdom of David, in the words of the prophet, in the Bethlehem manger, in the cross of Calvary, in the empty tomb for all eternity. Christmas, the Christ child, calls us to the same response as Mary. To trust, to believe, to accept, to be a slave of him who is the king of kings and lord of lords. To believe that the awesome, uncontrollable, mysterious, all-powerful God is always safe to surrender our lives to. Who can truly explain or comprehend the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Can't explain how that happens. And Mary can't either. It's a mystery that's beyond all of us. Nevertheless, we believe. We trust, we surrender, and in faith we declare what Mary does. I am the Lord's servant. Whatever you want, I'm yours. Please bow in prayer with me for a moment of silence. Father, hear hear our desire to surrender to you. Hear us as we join together in the prayer of confession. Please pray with me the prayer printed in your bulletin. Heavenly Father, we know that you are the great God of all. You are king over all, and of your kingdom there is no end. As we ebb ever closer to the celebration of your son's birth, forgive our attempts to limit you and our desires to domesticate you. 
Forgive us for ever imagining that we might manipulate or control you. Through Christ, help us to see your greatness and power. Open our eyes to the truth that you are far beyond us. Help us to understand that you are the Holy One for whom nothing is impossible. Fill us with faith that trusts you at every turn, in every moment, about everything. And in our trusting, overwhelm us with the joy and blessing of the Christ child. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, in this season when we celebrate the coming of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks and praise. You created all things and called them good. You made us in your own image. And even though we rebelled against your love, you did not desert us. You delivered us from captivity and made your covenant to be our sovereign God. You spoke to us through prophets who looked for that day when justice would roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, when nation shall no longer lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore. Therefore, with the prophets and all who have looked for a better age to come, with your people in all ages and the whole company of heaven, We join the song of unending praise, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Holy is your name, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent in the fullness of time to be a light to the nations. You scatter the proud in the imaginations of their hearts, and have mercy on those who fear you, From generation to generation. You put down the mighty from their thrones. And exalt those of low degree. Your own son came among us as a servant. To be Emmanuel. Your presence with us. He humbled himself in obedience to your will. And freely accepted death on a cross. By the baptism of his suffering. Death and resurrection. You gave birth to your church. Delivered us from captivity to sin and death and made with us a new covenant. As we remember all of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we ask you to accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving that we offer in union with Christ's sacrifice for us as a holy and living surrender of ourselves. Send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts. That in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this cup, we may know the presence of the living Christ. We may be one body in him, cleansed by his blood. That we may faithfully, together, serve him in this world. And that we may look forward to that day foretold by prophets and apostles. When the one who came in humility and who comes today in word and spirit shall come again in final victory. In him we pray. Amen.